You're listening to a sermon in our series, Fully Alive, as we go through the book of Colossians. Visit LindworthRoadChurch.com for more. And what a beautiful morning it is. It's spring again. I think it's spring. I don't know. It changes very quickly, doesn't it? But uh, this morning we are finishing our series called Fully Alive. We're in Colossians chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there now, you could go ahead and do it. We'll look at the text here in just a minute, but it's on page 985, or you can also read it off the PowerPoint if you would prefer that. But this is Paul's final instruction to the church in Colossae. But before we get to the text, I'd like to start off with a story this morning, a story I heard about an old codger who loved to fish. And uh, one day he was out sitting in his boat, and he heard a voice say, pick me up. And he looked around, he didn't see anybody, and he thought, am I dreaming? What's going on here? And then the voice came again, pick me up. Well, he, looked, he happened to look down, and there on a lily pad right beside his boat was a frog. And he looked down at the frog, and he said, are you talking to me? And the frog said, yes, I'm talking to you. Pick me up and kiss me, and I'll become the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. I'll be your beautiful bride, and all your friends will be envious. Well, the old man looked down at the frog for a moment, and then he reached down and picked up the frog, and then carefully put the frog in his front pocket. And uh, the frog looked up at him and said, what, are you nuts? Didn't you hear what I said? I said, kiss me, and I'll become your beautiful bride. The man opened his pocket and looked down at the frog, and he said, nah. He said, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. But you talk about missing an opportunity. Some would say he missed a golden opportunity. He didn't make the most of the opportunity he had. Well, this morning, the title of my message is Making the Most of Every Opportunity. And what the Apostle Paul had in mind in this fourth chapter of Colossians is making the most of every opportunity we have to share our faith. I want to ask you, Can you ever remember a time when you had an opportunity, an opportunity to take a stand for Christ, an opportunity to tell someone the good news, and you missed it? You stood silent. Maybe you didn't know what to say. Maybe you were afraid, and you missed the opportunity to share your faith. I know I have. As I look back through the years, many times, a number of times, I've experienced the disappointment of missed opportunities. Well, if you can relate, then I believe this message is for you this morning. Now, would you stand with me as we look at Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. As I said before, this is Paul's final instruction, in some ways his last words to the church in Colossae. The rest of the chapter is made up of final greetings and personal matters, maybe the kind of stuff you might find in a P.S., So Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth that it contains, the wisdom that it contains. And I just ask that this morning you would speak to each one of us here. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And then, Lord, give us a heart to obey it and give us grace to apply it to our life. For we ask it in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Now, if you would, look again at verse 5. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, what is Paul saying? Well, I really like the way the Living Bible captures the meaning of this verse. And here's what the Living Bible says. Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them. Paul is exhorting the Colossians to make the most of every opportunity they have to share the gospel. Yes, you know, I've missed opportunities. Too many opportunities. But by God's grace, I've also experienced the joy of making the most of the opportunities he's given me. The joy of telling someone about Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told us there is joy in heaven over every sinner who comes to repentance. Think of it. When just one person repents of their sin and comes to faith in Christ, all of heaven rejoices, the Bible says. And you and I, we share in that joy. C.S. Lewis once said, joy is the serious business of heaven. So if there is joy in heaven upon hearing the news of a conversion, there certainly should be joy in having a role in it. And how true that is. You know, I've found that the happiest Christians, those who are fully alive, are those who share their faith. Because, you know, next to knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the greatest joy I know of is leading others to Christ. I can't think of anything that brings more joy and fulfillment in the Christian life. So how can we make the most of every opportunity? Paul gives us three things that we can do. First, we can pray. We can pray. Years ago, Kelly and I went to a conference put on by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and during that conference, Billy said this about evangelism. He said, we have three secrets The first secret is prayer. The second secret is prayer. And the third secret is prayer. Many of you have heard me say that before. I've said it many times. But then Billy went on to tell the story of a woman who followed them everywhere to pray during the crusades while he was preaching. Billy would be preaching and this woman would be praying. And he said when she died, he said, I felt it. I felt it when she died. And then he went on to say, you'll never get anywhere in evangelism unless it is bathed in prayer. I think Paul would have agreed. After exhorting the church in Colossae to be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful, he says, and don't forget to pray for us. Pray for us too. Now look again at verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. In other words, pray that God will give us opportunity to share the gospel. 
Because before we can make the most of every opportunity, first we have to have the opportunity. You know, I found that when I pray, and I have others pray for opportunity, God answers. He answers. Last fall, Kelly and I, we were down at Columbus State, and before we went, we prayed that God would open a door for us. He'd give us opportunity to share the gospel. And I called Dur Fallis. Always have Dur pray. And I feel his prayers. But we were down there, and we were conducting a survey right out in the middle of campus. And uh, it was a hot, sunny day, and we had been out there for several hours, but we had talked to many students and answering questions and had the opportunity to share the gospel with many of them. And uh, like I said, we'd been there for several hours, very hot, we were tired, we were thirsty, and we were ready. We just had a few students left, and uh, we were ready to pack up and go home. And just at that time, a young lady came walking across the plaza right toward us, and she smiled and she said, hey, what are you guys doing? We said, well, we're taking, we were taking a survey. And I said, you'd be the last one to take our survey. She said, well, I'd like to. And then she began to ask us questions, questions about Christianity. And the longer I talked with her, the, I, was, I realized this is an answer to prayer. God is opening a door with this young lady. He's giving us opportunity here. And I, I sensed she had a lot of questions. I said, there was a picnic table right nearby and I said, would you like to go over there and sit down and, and we could talk? And she said, I would like that. So we went over and we sat down and we shared the gospel with her. Kelly shared her testimony and we showed her scriptures and she was reading scriptures from my Bible. And it was amazing to see how God opened her eyes to the truth of the gospel. How he opened her mind so she could understand it and how he opened her heart so she could respond. And that's what she did right there. She bowed her head and she prayed and she said, God, forgive me of my sins. And she asked Jesus to come into her heart and into her life. And it was, uh, it was just awesome to see how God had given us opportunity. He had opened the door for the gospel and there was joy. And uh, this, this girl, her family had come from India and she said, I, I had Christian friends, but she said, they never told me these things. I'd never heard this before. And here she came to Christ. But this is what Paul was asking the church in Colossae to pray for. Opportunity to proclaim the gospel. That's something God has to do. You see, Paul had learned that you simply cannot force people to receive the message. You can't cram the gospel through closed doors. So in essence, Paul is saying, pray that God will open doors of receptivity in people's minds and in their hearts because without that we're sunk jesus said in john 6 44 he said no one can come to me unless the father draws him the holy spirit must draw people convicting them of their sin and their need of a savior and without that without the drawing of the holy spirit no one can come to christ so in these five verses in Colossians 4, Paul gives us one of the great secrets to effective evangelism, prayer. If we're going to be effective, if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we must pray. And then secondly, if we're to make the most of every opportunity, we must proclaim the gospel. We must speak. Now the first part of prayers, uh, Paul's prayer request was for the opportunity 
to open a door for the gospel. The second part of his request was that God would help him to declare the gospel clearly. Now, look again at verse 4. Paul says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He's asking for prayer that God would help him to speak in such a way that he can make the gospel clear. Notice he says how I ought to speak. How I ought to speak. You know, I remember years ago there was a saying going around among Christians. And it went something like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. But listen, if we're going to preach the gospel and make it clear, we have to use words. That's what this section in Colossians 4 is all about. The words we use when proclaiming the gospel. Paul wanted to speak the right words, the right words to make the gospel clear, and the right words so that people would listen to him. So he asked also, he also asked the church in Ephesus to pray for him. Now look at Ephesians 6.19. After encouraging the church at Ephesus to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requests, he says this. He says, pray also for me. Pray that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And he asked that two times. He said, Pray that I'll proclaim it fearlessly as I should. Paul wanted prayer so that he could speak the right words and speak them fearlessly. I think we can all relate. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we've all experienced fear. So Paul prayed for boldness, and so can we. We can ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit and make us bold because we have to speak if we're to tell others the good news. Now, this is where we can often set up a false dichotomy. You see, we, we might be tempted to think something like this. You know, I, I really don't feel comfortable telling others about Jesus. That, that's just not me. I'll, I'll just be a good example, and I'll win people to Christ by the way I live. But Jesus didn't merely say, go into all the world and be a good example. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news. Preach the gospel to all creation. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Of course we need to be a good example. Of course we need to let our light shine and be all about good works and doing good things for others so that people will see Christ in us. We need that. Because nothing hurts the gospel message more than hypocrisy or being a bad example. You know, it's been said... There are two reasons people don't go to church. One, they don't know a Christian. And two, they do know a Christian. There's no question. Before we can effectively proclaim the gospel, we must first live it. People must see Christ in us. But, being, but just being a good example is not enough. Jesus told us to proclaim the gospel. And I realize that's not easy in this world today. As I said before, many times I've experienced fear. So did Paul. That's why he prayed. That's why we must pray. But here's what we must understand. The primary way God has chosen to reach people is through you and me. 
And the primary way he works through us is the verbalization of the gospel. The Bible asks in Romans 10, 14, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they hear unless we tell them? Well, suppose this. What if we found the cure to cancer? What would we do? Would we just, would we not say anything? No. We'd tell people, wouldn't we? We wouldn't say, well, I'm not really comfortable talking to strangers. Or, uh, No, we would tell everybody we could. Now, think of the word gospel. You know, it means good news. It's the good news that God loves us in spite of all of our sins. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to take our place on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. He's alive today. He stands knocking at the door of our heart, wanting to come in, forgive our sins, give us the gift of eternal life, and have a relationship with us. That's good news. That's the greatest news the human ear has ever heard. It's a message of God's love. Now, imagine this. Imagine turning on your TV one evening and you're watching the evening news. And the anchorman just sat there and didn't say anything. Suppose he thought, I'll be the best example of an anchorman that I can be. No. He's there to deliver the news. And that requires verbal communication. And we need to do the same. But our message is eternal. Our message is so much more urgent than anything we could ever hear on the news. We have something even more important than the cure for cancer. We have the cure for eternal separation from God. So yes, we should be a good example as a follower of Christ. But we should also pray and ask God for opportunity that he'd open doors for us. We should pray and ask God to give us words so we can make the gospel clear and, declare, and, to, and to do it fearlessly. We need to pray and ask him for boldness. And then look for the opportunity. Paul said, pray and watch. And when that opportunity comes, step out in faith and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, if we're to make the most of every opportunity, we must be wise. Now, we've asked God to open doors, to give us words to make the gospel clear. Now we're to walk in wisdom, Paul says, to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. So here's how Paul says I'd like to see it done. Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. In essence, what Paul is saying is to be wise with the gospel. Our conversations with unbelievers should be full of grace, using words that are loving, words that are kind, words that are polite, respectful, words that are grace-filled. You know, it's been said to win some, we must be winsome. In other words, be friendly and engaging and caring. It grips my heart when I read the gospel accounts that show how deeply Jesus loved people. Wherever he went, whomever he met, despite their age, despite their race, their gender, their social standing, their moral failings, Jesus loved them. It was as if he was saying with his 
arms wide open. Come as you are. The kingdom of heaven is open to you. Yes, even you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. But think of how Jesus engaged people. Remember how he went to Zacchaeus' home, that crooked little tax collector who probably didn't have a friend in the world. But that day, Jesus became his friend. And that day, salvation came to Zacchaeus' home. That day, he was saved, and his whole life was transformed and turned around. Or how he talked to the rich young ruler who went away sad, the Bible says. He walked away sad, but the Bible says Jesus loved him. Or how he talked to Nicodemus, the religious leader, or the woman at the well who was battered and beaten by sin. You know, he could have said, look, I'm God and you're not, so just listen to me. But instead, there was give and take in the conversation. He listened to them and they listened to him. He cared about them and they could tell. Jesus gave us a model for how we're to share our faith. The Bible tells us in Luke 4 that everyone was speaking well of Jesus and how they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says, Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, and they win him favor, the ESV version says. Our gracious words win us favor. So Paul's saying when sharing our faith, our speech is to always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now think of salt and think of food. Think of the impact that salt has on food. Think of potato chips. I mean, they're salty. They're so good. And you know what happens? You have one potato chip, and what happens? You want to have another potato chip. I mean, a potato chip without salt, that's just not right. And you have one, you have one chip, and you want another one, and another one. That's what makes chips so dangerous. Or how about popcorn? Can you imagine popcorn without salt? You know, Kelly and I, we don't go to the movies very often, usually about once a year. I think we're behind on our, our quota here, but... Uh, she had some sort of deal where if you went a certain night, you got in cheap, and then you get a free bag of popcorn. So last time we went, I remember getting some popcorn. I, had, you know, I got the little one, and then the medium was a little bit bigger. But then the large, I mean, it's like a bushel basket of popcorn. I mean, who, who needs that much popcorn? And maybe they buy it because it's a better deal, but you still have to finance it. And, uh, but anyway, you know what happens. You get into the movie and you're munching away on that popcorn, all of a sudden you realize, man, this stuff is really salty. And uh, so now you got to go back and buy a five-gallon bucket of Coke to quench your thirst. So the salt did its work. It stimulated your thirst. And in the same way, gracious words seasoned with salt have an impact, just like salt does on food. They have an impact when people hear that speech. And they make people thirsty so that they want to hear more about God's love and His forgiveness. But critical words, judgmental words, condemning words, turn people away. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to save them. 
I love the story in John chapter 8 when the religious leaders dragged before Jesus a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They said to Jesus, the law says stone her, Jesus. What do you say? And you remember how he bent down and he began writing in the ground? We don't know what he was writing. Maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments or maybe he was listing their sins. But you remember he said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And you remember they all began to walk away until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And he said to her, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condemn her, even though she'd lived a sinful life. He didn't condemn her. That's not what he came for. He came to save us. He was so full of grace, so full of love. But that doesn't mean he didn't talk about sin. He spoke of sin. He told this woman to sin no more, to leave her life of sin. And he warned about the judgment to come. He spoke of hell. You know, the fact is, Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than all the other prophets and preachers of the Bible put together. And most of the teaching we have about hell was given to us by Jesus himself. You know, that fact surprises a lot of people. They say, really? Really, wasn't Jesus the very personification of love and mercy and grace? Why would he talk about hell? It's for that very reason. It's because Jesus is full of love and mercy and grace, and he doesn't want anyone to go there. It's been estimated that of the 40 different parables that Jesus taught, more than half of them dealt with God's judgment and hell. Make no mistake, hell is a real place for real people, according to the Bible. But you know, so many times we're, we're uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with that idea, and so people make jokes about it. Did you know, did you know, there is an actual town in Michigan called Hell? I mean, go figure. Where else would it be, right? But no, seriously, it was founded in 1841 by a man named George Reeves. He had discovered a low, swampy place in southeast Michigan and didn't know what to name it. And someone said to him, what do you want to call it? He said, I don't care. Name it hell if you want to. And so they did. Hell, Michigan. But you know, but people make jokes. Or I've heard some people, some people I've talked to said, well, I don't believe in hell. I believe that this is hell right here, right now. I said, no, no, that's, that's up in Michigan. <laughs> no, seriously, though. I, seriously, there is a real hell. And out of love, there will be times that we must warn people. Right in this first chapter of the book of Colossians, Paul says, we proclaim Christ. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We must love people enough to speak the truth. I remember hearing a story Greg Laurie once told. He's a well-known pastor and evangelist from the West Coast, and, and it's a very sad story, but here's the story that he, he told. He said, a number of years ago, we were doing an evangelistic crusade in Honolulu at the Aloha Stadium. 
He said, I was walking down the main drag of Waikiki Beach when I came across a man with a placard emblazoned with the words, the wages of sin are death. This man was shouting at people passing by with some glee, I might add. You're all going to hell. You're all going to hell. So I stopped in front of this man and I said, why don't you put the rest of that passage on the back of your sign and give people some hope? The rest of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, this guy didn't like that one bit, Greg said, and he screamed in my face, you're going to hell. And he goes on to say, this man wasn't helping people come to Christ. He was, in my opinion, keeping people from Christ. Now, that might be an extreme example, but how sad. No wonder Paul said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. You see, we can say the right thing, but say it in the wrong way. It's true that people who don't know Jesus Christ are going to hell, but that ought to break our hearts. We ought to weep over that. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, no one should ever talk about hell to a non-believer without a tear in his eye. Here's the thing we must understand. The gospel message must be clearly, boldly, verbally, and lovingly shared with unbelievers. And to do so, we'll need God's help. We'll need His grace. We'll need to pray and ask God to open doors for us and give us opportunity, because only He can do that. We'll have to pray and ask Him to make us bold and to give us courage so that we'll proclaim the gospel fearlessly as we should. We'll have to ask Him to empower us with the Holy Spirit and give us words to say. And then we'll need to step out in faith and walk through the doors that He opens and experience the joy of telling someone about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for your love that was demonstrated at the cross. That you would love us so much that you would send your one and only son into the world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to take our place on that cross. Father, I just ask right now that if there's anyone here this morning and they've never experienced that love that you showed on the cross. Lord, I ask that you would help them to turn to you. Help them to see how much you love them. Help them to see that you've risen from the dead and you stand at the door of their heart knocking, wanting to come in to have a relationship with them, wanting to forgive their sin and give them the gift of eternal life. If there's someone here that has never experienced that, Lord, would you help them right now to turn to you, to put their faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus, and what you did for them on the cross? Would you help them to call on you right now by praying? Right now, a simple prayer like this. Oh, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sins but Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. And I'm asking you to come into my heart 
Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. And let me have a relationship with you. Father, for all of us who have experienced that good news, that wonderful truth, give us grace. Help us to proclaim that gospel message to everyone we can. We ask that you'd open doors and give us opportunity. Give us grace to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.